Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. All right, everybody. Good morning. Happy Easter. He's risen. I love that I can be here and we have to say the same things that we would say a year ago, and that is we have plenty of room up front. So if you're still looking for a spot, all of the, all of the, the, the spit row is, is still unoccupied. I'm so excited to be here with everybody today. It's weird to have to wear pants to church. Um, because no matter what dress shirt I may have worn, I've been comfortable at church for the last year. I've been in my living room, on my couch, and somehow, whether it was as warm as it is today or if there was snow on the ground, I believe everybody that is here would have shown up. I love that all of you chose to be here today. I love seeing your faces. I love seeing that even though you are wearing masks, there's laughter and there's joy being here. Um, we get to participate today in something that is incredible, and that is the greatest evidence that we have that the resurrection took place is the church. The greatest evidence that we have that Jesus rose from the dead is that they talked about it, that the church exploded in growth. Think about it. If they would have gone to the tomb and Jesus would have been in there, we would have never heard about him. If Jesus would have been in the tomb, it would have ended there. He would have been a dead prophet. But the fact that Jesus rose again means that it was real. And that's the explosion that we get to participate with today. And the fact that we get to show up to church, whether you're at home or whether you are here, braving the, the wild 73-degree Long Beach sun, you are participating in the greatest evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, the church. And as we just read, there's something that we need to talk about in that resurrection. And I want to welcome everybody. If this is your first time here, and if you are just checking out church, I hope that whether you are this is a place where, where the smell is familiar or whether it's new, that you would be blessed, that you would be refreshed. Thank you for being here. Thank you for watching. Thank you for all of the people who are faithful to our community, who are at home, who have needs to take care of or have risks that I might not have. Thank you for continuing to participate in our community. I was talking with Matt Colin. Oh, where's Matt? Matt Colin. There he is. <laughs> the director of our men's ministry yesterday, and I was saying it's a lot harder for me today to talk about Easter than it has been for me to talk about Good Friday. And there's not been a lot of years where it's harder for me to come up with words about the goodness and the joy and the beauty. That's something that has been more common for me, but this year, coming up to talk about Easter feels more like an act of faithfulness than something that's flowing out of me Participating in joy, celebrating with those who celebrate has been really hard. 
And yet we are called to celebrate for a brief moment, for the next hour. All of our lives will meet us once we get in our cars again, once we show up to our vaccine appointments again. Our real lives will show up and they will be there. But for today, we have to remember that resurrection came. Resurrection came. Sometimes it comes a little bit later than we would like. For Lazarus, that's truly the case. Resurrection still came for those who went on as though there was no hope left. Resurrection came to the women that were coming, not to check on resurrection. Those, that's not the reason those women were there. They were there to prepare his body because they had believed he was dead. The women were not there to check on a resurrected Jesus. In fact, when they found out that's what had happened, they were terrified. They were there to prepare because they had concluded that the hope was lost and resurrection showed up for them. To Cleopas on the road to Emmaus, resurrection went to Cleopas. To Doubting Thomas, who said, I need to see the holes in his hands and the scar in his side. I have to see it. Resurrection went to him. To whom Jesus loved and invited in Peter, who went back to his profession afterwards, concluding that it was over. Jesus went to him, but not just went to him and said, see, do you see that everything I've told you is true? He restored him in love, and he reminded Peter that the church is at its best when it gives itself away. Resurrection does come, and even in our doubt, even when we've spent a year wondering what's going to happen, when we spent a year feeling like I had no idea who was going to show up today, because it's hard to know when there's an icon of an eye on a live stream what that means. It's been hard for me to attach that to the smiling, loving faces I'm seeing here today. Resurrection has come to me in my lost hope. And there's one part that I think that we discount in this conversation over and over again, and that is the resurrection was of the body. And I want to talk about that quickly, and then I'm excited to bring Pastor Barb on. If God's plan for resurrection was just your soul or just your mind or just your emotions, it could have been a voice in, in the clouds. It could have been some other way to communicate something. But Jesus knew that the bodily resurrection was very important. The resurrection of Jesus means that in his body that God cares about the material things. God cares not just about your opinion of scripture, but how tired you are from staying up with a hospitalized friend. God cares about the discomfort you feel in your stomach knowing you have to have a hard conversation. God cares about you when you've longed for a hug for a year and not gotten it. Think about it. He's made food delicious. Think about music and food and sleep and a good hike and a massage and a hug and a hot shower 
and how holy and perfect coffee is. God has made us bodies. That's how he created us. That was the intention. When he created us, he created us with bodies that need things, that long to be together like this. And he said that's good. Being alone is not good. <laughs> and so coming together and longing when we've spent a year trying to justify to ourselves that, yes, the church is not the building, of course. Let's acknowledge that. And let's move on to the fact that we have real physical needs where it, we, we feel something powerful when we get to stand side by side with each other. And that is good. Hearing worship, plugging Jason into a soundboard when we were setting up for Ash Wednesday was a holy moment for me to a point where I took my mask off and he had to remind me to put it back on because I was like, oh, everything's back to normal again. This is, this is how it should be. God resurrected Jesus in his body. And I once heard a story that if you went into the womb, just imagine, this is weird, but if you went into a womb to tell a baby what the birth process would be like, you'd say, okay, you're about to go through a lot of pressure. It's going to be messy. Uh, you're going to go through a dark tunnel. And at the end, this life source that you've been relying on is going to be cut off. That baby would think that that's death not life, because when you take something into what is coming, we can't even imagine it. As a baby that hadn't been born yet, we wouldn't know that that cutting off of life was an opening into what real life is. And so when we think about death and the resurrection, the Bible talks about it like a seed that goes into the ground. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that God has placed eternity into the hearts of men. We are housing eternity. We are image bearers of God housing eternity that when we go into the ground and we are raised again, the beauty that will come up from that life is unimaginable. The resurrection in its body means that we get to care about the physical material things that matter to you that you can long for a hug, and that is a spiritual act. That you can enjoy food, and it can be an act of worship. God has made us this way. Let us not despise these things that we long for, that God is cluing us into his goodness through our bodies. And I believe that the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ shows us that we can long for that, and that each of you, everybody you see, houses eternity in their hearts. Everybody you see bears the beautiful image of God on their face. The, the eternity is in their hearts. And the fact that we are resurrected in our bodies as well means that we get to care about the physical, material things that impact our neighbors. That we can stop trying to make excuses for those people who have longed so much to have a good meal with friends, to see their smiles all of these physical things that we explain away because we believe that God only cares about us in our mental state, our emotional state, our spiritual state. And he said, I resurrected Jesus in the body to show you that's the resurrection you get to participate in with as well. And so now I get to share the stage with two of my new great friends. Barb is, has always been amazing, and I'm figuring out just how amazing she actually is by spending uh, multiple meetings with her now a week. 
and I want to invite her up, and she will share her reflections on Easter as well. Be blessed. Amen. Well, guys, this is the first time in a year that I've worn a skirt to church, just so you know. So it goes both ways. And yeah, it, there's something really beautiful about being in the middle of two gentlemen. Yes, and they are gentlemen. And um, new, 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 always replacing old. And even in the church, even in the church year, that's, that's really what it's all about. New comes again and again to replace what's old, what's used, sometimes what's wonderful. But new is always better when it's the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ that is bringing it. And as we celebrate this morning resurrection, I want you just to put that word, tuck that word into your heart, tuck it into your socks, tuck it into your ears, um, between your ears. Think about that word, new. The historian David Ford said, the resurrection is a God-sized event. Oh, wow, how big is that? Can I, can I even understand it? Nope. And if we think we have a framework that contains it, we have not grasped the sort of event it is. It challenges our very idea of reality. Resurrection, dead, alive. It's a God-sized event. Only God could swing it. Only God could plan it. Only God could see it through. During the time of Jesus' ministry, women were treated as property. In those days, Jewish rabbis began the temple meetings with these words, Blessed art thou, O Lord, for thou hast not made me a woman. In those days, a wife could not divorce her husband, but he could divorce her for any reason at all, and then send her away with no need for any financial assistance, no one to care for her. She was just sent away. Women were inferior. Women were owned excluded from a lot of public religious life, and rarely were they taught Torah, even in private homes. Of course, there were exceptions, but this is the rule when Jesus entered the scene. Oh, but that Jesus. <laughs> He's such a crazy guy. He's so wild. He's so in tune with the God of all creation, the God who made resurrection happen. Jesus healed women. He cast out demons in women. He restored women to wholeness, to shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken. He actually had particular concern for all of those on the margins of life. But we see the intent at resurrection of women, and I'm going to take my piece of this triad teaching is that focus this morning. You know, he reached out to prostitutes and he invited them to his table. He welcomed them there and he told the chief priests that those women, those women, 
we know who they are, don't we? Those women will get to heaven before you, O chief priest. Women were counted among his friends. He was inclusive of them. The Sermon on the Mount is addressed to all. It was not just for the men. His parables honored women as worthy symbols for the living God. And crazily, God had already, in all of Scripture, spoken of himself with female terminology, female images that God used for himself. Because if we go back to Genesis, remember, male and female, he made them in the image of Christ, in the image of God. God spoke of himself as a pregnant woman, a nursing woman, a caregiver. Philip Yancey says this, for women and other oppressed people, Jesus turned upside down the accepted wisdom of his day. I'm going to assert that today, another day of resurrection, Jesus is still turning upside down the accepted wisdom of our day. The first people that Jesus talked to after he was resurrected were women. Do you think that was accidental? I don't. I think he knew that that was who was going to be coming to the gravesite. Those were the ones who were going to be tending to his body. Jesus also spoke of himself as female in Matthew 23, verse 37, when he said that he wished he could gather the people, each and every one of you, into his arms the way a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And in the early decades of church history, if you want to go do a study, it's pretty fascinating because there's huge evidence that women were working right alongside men in those early days spreading the gospel. There's a freeing effect when we encounter Jesus. That's for all of us, male, female. Luke 13, 12, he spoke to the woman. He said, woman, you are free of your infirmity. We're all infirm this morning. He speaks to us again. He looks right into our eyes, and he says, you're free of your infirmity, but it's going to cost you. You're going to have to die. <laughs> before you can be resurrected. Myrrh bearers was the name given to these women. And you can find a whole Wikipedia article about that because these women had a ministry of being directly involved in burials. They came with their spice. Actually, myrrh is an oil, a resin-type oil that comes from a tree. It smells really good. It has healing properties. You find it in medicine today. They would have tended to him right when he was placed in the grave, but Sabbath was coming, and they were good Jewish women, and they knew that there was nothing that they could do, so they waited, like we've been waiting. Yesterday was Holy Saturday. I was sad. I had all this work to do, things to get ready for for Easter today, and I was sad because I didn't have really enough time to be sad that it had been Good Friday. But then I thought about the fact that I've been sad all year in so many ways. And maybe it is time 
for a resurrection. When the women took their myrrh early, early, early in the morning before sunrise to the tomb, they found that the tomb was empty. Hallelujah. I just got to go back and say, how many of you guys have seen that movie, um, Never Ending Story? Because the bad, the bad thing is the great nothing. And that's what yesterday was. Holy Saturday. It's the time between when we die. It's like exactly what Ryan was talking about when he was talking about speaking to the baby in the birth canal. It's like that time of, oh my gosh, this is not good. Nothing is going to happen. But resurrection was coming. Let's go back to the women. After the resurrection was revealed to them, they were given this amazing commission. Now, he didn't say this to the men. He said this to the women. He said, you, 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 go and tell. In fact, tell the disciples. Um, if I'm speaking to the women here, the women on our Facebook page, on YouTube, this is still a call to us. This is still, this, we still have the ministry of tending to death and watching resurrection happen. Hear that. We are called to be resurrection bringers. I spoke that over a really beautiful woman one time. So, I am going to move into a whole other space for a moment. Jesus' opening statement in the Gospels is this. Change your mind. Uh, we read words like repent, but that's really what that means. It means change your mind. So that's what Jesus is saying as he's walking throughout Galilee and as he's walking in the world today. He's saying, change your mind because finding an empty tomb is the catalyst for change. Jesus is Lord. He's not a rabbi. He's not some guy with weird sandals who walks a lot. He, he's not a wild man, and he is all those things. He is Lord. How do you engage with change? Do you welcome it? Or do you avoid it? Or do you do a little bit of both? Richard Rohr says that resurrection and renewal are the universal and observable patterns of everything. Resurrection. The truth of it, again and again, is that it makes us wild and free. And it owns us so much more than we can ever own it. We think we can grasp resurrection. We cannot. My belief or my skepticism does not alter that resurrection happened. Jesus was dead, and he lives again. We cannot make the resurrection small. We cannot reduce it. I am a Christian, and so might you be because I believe in the resurrection. That morning, so long ago now in history, a few women 
went out to anoint Jesus' dead body, and all the world was forever changed. Death, in all of its forms, gives way again and again to life. And the truest thing in the whole wide world is an empty tomb. My friend Sarah gave me lyrics. Uh, well, she gave me this really beautiful song, and it's by Ellie Holcomb and Amy Grant, and it's called A Woman. And I'm just going to read you a few of those lyrics before Pastor Danny comes and shares with us. I could never speak it, but I didn't quit when they called me heretic. They said I was too dangerous, so I stood with all the women at a distance. But once my name crossed his lips, how could I keep quiet? He is not ashamed to be seen with me beside him. I have seen the Lord. I will speak of him. And nobody could talk me out of it. I have seen the Lord, and my Lord has seen me. Oh, he said my name and told me to go and speak. How could I not speak it that you didn't quit when they called you heretic? They said it was too scandalous for you to come so close to me, but you still did it. And once my name crossed his lips, I could not be silent. Jesus is alive. Amen. Thank you, Barbara and Ryan. If you know anything about Filipinos, um, you know we hate being in the sun, so this is kind of uh, hard for me. <laughs> and then my apologies. I think we're all taking more time than we're allotted. <laughs> um, but no, I'm grateful to be here. Um, I'm just, you know, woke up this morning just glad to finally get to, like, see faces. It's been hard, honestly, you know, coming in as, as the community pastor in January and feeling like I haven't really met a lot of people. Speaking uh, in a Zoom conference type thing where I see my face and I'm not seeing people has been uh, quite challenging. But today I got to talk to some people, and I remember just earlier today talking with Richard, and I said, Richard, you know, we got to get together over coffee. And he said, not coffee, how about barbecue? And I said, oh my goodness, let's do barbecue. <laughs> and if you know anything about me, I love barbecue, I love steak, I'm somewhat of a steak snob. I crave grass-fed, dry-aged, marbleized porterhouse steak that's medium rare. As a kid growing up in L.A., my mom knew I loved meat, and so she fed it to me every day. But my mom was also deeply religious. In fact, um, when it came time for Lent and Ash Wednesday, um, she would drag us to church, and we'd get our ashes. And it was dreadful for me because I knew for the next few Fridays we weren't allowed to eat meat. And I hated that. And worse, on Passion Week, as we waved palm branches... It was me waving goodbye to TV, <laughs> watching TV, waving goodbye to meet every day, and I was just so bummed because I couldn't watch Laverne and Shirley. No Mork and Mindy, and back in those days, you didn't have VCRs where you can just, you know, watch what you missed. Once you missed it, it was gone, and, and I hated it. And, you know, to my mom's credit, even though she didn't let us watch TV during Passion Week, she did make an exception. She let us watch Jesus of Nazareth and the Ten Commandments. 
And so every year I would watch the same two movies over and over again. And I think by the time I was nine years old, I would like, after watching the Ten Commandments, I would go into our little yard in Los Angeles and find some square sto stepping stones and pick it up over my head and pretend I'm Moses. And I would put the, the, the stone above my head and, and look at the ants on the floor and I say, you have sinned against God. You are not worthy. And I throw it at them. And so I'm not too sure how good Lent was for me. But I know in Easter, my mom always had this tradition. When Easter finally came, she would have all us kids jump onto her bed. And in, in Tagalog, in Filipino, we would cry mabuhay, which means alive. Jesus is alive. And here I was with my three other siblings jumping out, down, up and down the bed. And, and they're all saying mabuhay, he's alive. And I'm, I'm, I'm in my mind saying steak, steak, steak. <laughs> we get to eat steak tonight. But as I got older, I really began to pay attention more to just the beauty of the Christian calendar and what Lent meant and just the appreciation for it. And, and so I've kind of like tried to participate in Lent as much as I could now as a, as a grown-up. But honestly, as we talked about Lent this year, and again, my mind went to what, what am I going to do? What am I going to engage in? I remember just thinking I'm not going to do anything. Because this whole year has felt like Lent. This whole year has felt like a giving up. And it wasn't just like giving up, you know, going out or watching movies and going on date nights or canceling vacations. But it was this, this exhaustion, right? A, a feeling like you had to try to figure out how to stay safe from this invisible enemy, not knowing where it was hiding. And then finding out that some friends and People I knew, you know, succumbed to the illness and, and just seeing this collective anxiety that was happening all over the world. It was just, it was just so much to bear. And then all of a sudden, you know, we, we start moving into the stage, right, of COVID where, lo and behold, we're meeting together. And, and part of me says, yes, thank God we're here. There's this excitement to finally meet you face to face. But honestly, I think for me, it's been hard to flip the switch to celebrate Easter. Because how do you move past all the pain? How do you move past the exhaustion? And some of us are still in the midst of it. Some of us are still trying to figure out how to make ends meet. We've fallen behind. We've lost friendships. We've lost jobs. Things don't ever feel like they're going to go back to normal. How do we enter into this Easter, celebrating the way my mom told me to celebrate, to jump with joy. But I think that's why I like the passage we chose about Easter, Mark chapter 16, because of all the Gospels, Mark 16 is not only the shortest, but for me, I connect with it the most right now. Why? Because there isn't much joy in this chapter. In fact, if you read Mark 16, you see that the women were on their way to the tomb, and they're trying to prepare for the burial, like, like Barbara said. And as they enter the tomb, it says they saw a young man dressed in a white robe. And it says they were alarmed. And then, you know, it goes on where this, this young man tells them he is risen, he is not here. And now it shifts to verse 8. Now they're trembling. They're bewildered. And they flee. 
they're out of there. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's how Mark phrases Easter. It's very unlike all the church celebrations that we go to where everyone's jumping out for joy and everyone's supposed to put on a happy face and, and wear your flowery you know, dresses or your nicest outfits and just, just kind of like put on a smile. But, but for this first Easter, Mark is very, very specific on what the emotions were. They were trembling. They were bewildered. They were afraid. And I love this about Mark's gospel because it's, it shows me that Mark gives us space to process what all this means. It wasn't like on the first Easter they were all of a sudden able to move through the five stages of grief in a weekend. Where on Sunday they were just all f feeling fuzzy and good about themselves. In fact, Luke gives us a little more detail in their unbelief. Luke 24 talks about how two disciples on the road to Emmaus talking amongst themselves and then Jesus, you know, appears incognito and, and they talk to Jesus and they tell Jesus that we expected Jesus to be the one who would deliver Israel, but instead he was nailed to a cross. And so in this disbelief, they were telling Jesus, we had hoped he would be the Messiah, the one that would deliver us from oppression. Because these disciples, like the other disciples, had longed for justice. And on this cross, on this Good Friday, justice was thwarted. And in the minds of everyone there, death is definitive. You have lost. We have lost what now is to become of us. And so there's frustration in disciples even post-resurrection. And I think about 2020 and, and even the beginning of this year and think about all the people who have had to lose stuff. I had good friends who had gone through so much to get to the point of engagement. They had loss of family because they were disowned and they were finally planning the wedding of a lifetime. We were supposed to go to Cabo San Lucas, but then, of course, it was canceled because of COVID. I've had good friends who in their 50s went back to school and was just cherishing the thought of being able to graduate, finally get their diploma, only to find out that their graduation would be on Zoom. And if things couldn't get worse, there's the killings and the racial and political tensions. And in all of this, seeing the most vulnerable in our communities being disproportionately affected and it's hard not to feel powerless in this time. It's hard to feel like I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to get up. What could I possibly do to help people to make an effect? We feel powerless. But I think that's the beauty of the resurrection because in the crucifixion of Christ, you find the political people go in alliance with the religious people who brought the mobs together in this, this vortex of evil of people trying to talk amongst themselves to plan this violence against the most innocent man the world had ever seen. They, they got together in this, this point of time in history to torture, to kill, 
to hang an innocent man on the tree. And in the disciples' mind, it was done. Death had won. But we know that the data doesn't stop there. The story continues on. Why? Because Jesus rose. And Jesus, in spite of the fact of having this avalanche of evil come down upon his body, was able to rise and say death and sin and evil is defeated. You aren't powerless, Jesus says. We aren't powerless. And yes, we've had a bad year. Yes, there's been a lot of problems. But guess what? Resurrection changes everything. We live in a world where the resurrection happened. Imagine that. Pause for a second. We live in a world where the resurrection happened. In response to the most violent thing that has ever happened, we live in a world where the resurrection happened. And it makes us believe that change can and should occur. You know, Barbara talked about the women in Scripture. Ryan talked about the, the importance of the body resurrection and how important our bodies are. And this morning I was reading on some friends' pages about just the history of violence in our country and just lamenting over all that stuff. And, and then I thought, where would we be today? If it wasn't for the brave women who stood up and said, this is not right. Where would we be today if it wasn't for those abolitionists who said, this is wrong, this is evil, people matter. People have value. Where would it be today if it wasn't for those civil rights leaders who stood up against redlining and the Jim Crow laws? Where would we be today if, if people weren't brave enough to stand up and to believe that God has a better plan ahead? You know, I've been visiting hospice patients for about 12 years now. I remember this one particular occasion where I got a call from the hospice asking me to visit a man who um, had been homeless for much of his life. In fact, there was no next of kin. And they told me that he's at this one, um, this one nursing care facility, and if you want to go visit him, you know, there's no one there um, to be with him. And so if you want to pray with him, you know, you're more than welcome to. And so I went to that nursing facility. As I tried to find the room, I bumped into the nurse, and I asked where this uh, man was, um, was staying. And, and she, says, she pointed to a room across the hallway, and she said, you know what, but don't bother. He's... Um, He's not talking anymore. He's not, he's not even present anymore. I remember just like looking at her, looking at the room and, and, and thinking, no, what? Wait, wait, what? Of course he matters. And so I went into the room, pulled a chair next to his bed, next to a man who only had a few hours to live. I remember thinking, why isn't anyone here? His family probably doesn't even know what happened to him. I don't know. But God, would you help me not to leave this room until you give me a little glimpse of what you see in this man? That God opened my eyes to see the beauty of this person and help me just to 
to just block off all those messages that have labeled people in this community as lazy, as, as drug users, as illegals. Help me just to push all that aside and to not place judgment, but instead for me to see that because of the resurrection, you look at this man and you say that no one, no one is out of reach of my love. Every single person is to be valued. I remember just sitting in that room looking at that man and I started to weep and just saying that, man, this guy is beautiful. I see the presence of God. I see Jesus in his face. And so when I think of the cross and the violence that was levied against Jesus, I couldn't help but think of the violence that was levied against this man. For whatever reason, he was in a situation where he was homeless much of his life. The religious community wasn't there. Who knows what got him to this place, but it didn't really matter, did it? Because Jesus loved and valued this person. Peter Rollins, who's a pretty radical speaker, was questioned as to whether he believed in the resurrection of Christ. And he said this, Without equivocation or hesitation, I fully and completely admit that I deny the resurrection of Christ. This is something that anyone who knows me could tell you. And I'm not afraid to say it publicly, no matter what people may think. I deny the resurrection of Christ every time I do not serve at the feet of the oppressed. Each day that I turn my back on the poor, I deny my, the resurrection of Christ when I close my ears to the cries of the downtrodden and lend my support to an unjust and corrupt system. However, there are moments when I do affirm the resurrection. Few and far between as they are, I affirm it when I stand up for those who are forced to live on their knees. When I speak for those who have had their tongues torn out. When I cry for those who have no more tears to shed. That's when we believe in the resurrection. Not just in theory. Not just a matter of theology, but in practicality, in incarnational love. And so LBCF, who are we to be? In light of people who confess the resurrection of Christ, in light of people who believe that Jesus was tortured as an innocent man and yet rose again by the power of the resurrection to thwart evil, will we be the kind of people who are willing to take a stand? Who will affect history as the people in times past have? Will we gather in Jesus' name to not just sing and study and read, but to believe, to do, to act justly? But this thing God has called us to can't come from a place of shame because I remember when I was visiting that hospice patient, I began to beat myself up. And God was reminding me, Danny, be gentle with yourself. 
And I think as we think about the cross of Jesus and how much he values us, it's important right now for us, especially as we've ex ex experienced exhaustion, to not, not add another layer of shame and trying to get us to do things. But if we are to move forward, it has to come from a place of strength. Not shame, not guilt. And so one of the things I try to do as much as I can, especially every morning, is when I wake up, I become conscious of the fact that in my head it's already playing out all the meetings I have to attend, all the things I have to do, all the fears that are surrounding me. And before I get out of bed, I try to push all those thoughts back, and, and I know that eventually I have to get to them, but the most important task of any day, of any moment, is to remind myself that I am the beloved of the Lord. I am not my failures. I am not my mistakes. I am not my shortcomings. As Mary said, I am chosen. I am the beloved of God. And so I pray on this Easter Sunday, we would all reflect on that, that we would pause, that whatever it is our church is calling us to do and be a part of this year, it could feel overwhelming if it's coming from a place of, of just trying to prove our worth or especially from a place of shame and guilt. But I pray that you would join me as we reflect and just pause for a second at who we are. And so please close your eyes. I want you to think about all that has happened to you this year, all the hardships, all the people and things you've lost. all the evil that happens in the news that we hear of, that we feel so powerless against. Acknowledge those. Bring it before Jesus' feet. And then proclaim in your heart the resurrection. It happened. It happened. And experience now the gentle leaning of God's heart into yours. Calling you to rest. Reminding us that the things of the kingdom was never meant to be done out of just a sense of duty, but rather delight. Remind yourself that the most important thing 
is to know that we are the beloved of the Lord, unconditionally chosen, children of God. So we bless your name. Amen.